Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Hello and welcome to the October edition of the Faith Lead Book Hub. Today we are talking about outside of the box faith formation. All right, we are going to do kind of a Q&A here. Let's start with a question that uh, came in through the learning lab even before this event began. Uh, someone was asking Ross for recommendations that would be similar to his book, but for a different demographic. What about for adults? For example, if you have an adult member or members who um, don't know if this is a safe place for them. Yep, yeah. There's. There's a few good resources, and, and we can go in a couple different directions for this. Um, one is, if you're still looking for some spiritual guidance for acceptance for yourself, like for someone who's coming out and realizing, what's my relationship with the church? There are some really good kind of memoir-type books um, that have done this really well. Justin Lee's Torn is good. Um, memoirs from the uh, Christian pop singer Jennifer Knapp, which I am a fan of, um, and Vicki Beeching. Um, who also is a musician turned speaker. Um, there's also helpful resources to kind of figure out if there are welcoming congregations in your area. Um, I referenced before Reconciling in Christ, that's the Lutheran designation for congregations that have made an explicit statement. Pretty much every denomination has some version like that. And if you, if you like your big evangelical megachurches, there is a website called Church Clarity, dot org that kind of tries to dig down into church policies to figure out how welcoming a place is um because people like to say things like uh, all are welcome um and so church clarity has been kind of good for other things and then i think in terms of finding community you know, things like the q christian fellowship um has been a really good community um, the Reformation Project has been one that's taken scripture and built community, kind of an advocacy-based community. Um, and just personal plug, I will say, if you like stuff like that too, the podcast that I produce called Yes, Jesus is kind of styled on Sunday services. And it is comedy. It is, it is irreverent. Not irrelevant. It's irreverent. And, um, and Daniel Francesi and Azariah Southworth are, are exploring their own faith as queer Christians and building really kind of a community family where we invite um, praise reports and prayer requests and close with prayer, but also get to explore a topic in some level of detail. So those are all recommendations I'd have. Excellent. Ooh, there's a listener in the chat. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, we have another question in the chat here about conversation starters or other resources for safe conversations with LGBTQ people who've been hurt by the church. <sighs> with people who've been hurt by the church, it's harder just to like go in and say, let's have a conversation. Um, I People have to be able to share what their own experience and their own history is on their own time and their own terms. I will say what works for me as a gay Lutheran deacon is to tell people I'm a gay Lutheran deacon and they usually start to pour out their story to me anyway because they're so kind of fascinated by that combination, especially if my experience has been that much different than theirs. Um, so if you are LGBTQ um, and, uh, and Christian, 
you doing your own introduction is a way to be able to do that. If you're not LGBTQ, but a well-meaning ally, then it gets a little bit trickier. I don't like, don't hide your faith. Like none of us ever should. Um, and we talk about the reality of the faith community that we're a part of. We acknowledge the fact that our church has had a really not great history um, with LGBTQ people and what it is that either we are doing our congregation or some cases our denominations are doing to try to, to try to address those. And then step back and give space to let the other person do that healing and do that processing. Um, because the, the, it, it's been described more and more as church trauma, um, which means it requires a lot of healing, which requires a lot of space and a lot of grace, especially from those of us. So it also means approaching those conversations with a good level of humility. Maybe some of that humility is um, something we have in common with just needing to admit we haven't been doing faith formation at home during the pandemic. <laughs> Um, or Don, we need your help kickstarting things again because yeah, we've just been trying to survive here. Um, I had a question based on some of the things that came through the more private chat there um, about tactile things. You know, um, someone said that they give prayer shawls to the families with. Uh, young children. Are there other tactile things that you really think are part of the life of faith, but maybe um, are missing if you're not in church in person? I often will bring sort of a whole array of things to give people ideas for what they could put in worship activity bags you know, be, before COVID. And those were things like, um, you know, if, if you wanted to go higher scale, you could buy a hand carved olive wood cross, you know, with wood from the Holy Land, but a, a holding cross. So it feels really good in your hand. Or I would show um, there's a way to do just sort of a square, um, a crocheted or knit square with like a cross pattern in it. So that a child can start learning. Oh, when we say prayers, you, you pull this out of the activity bag and you can hold it. Um, I've also showed people how you can go to um, a local craft store and buy some wooden block pieces and show kids like this is how you can put together these blocks to look like your altar, um, you know, your pulpit if you have one, and then cutting out um, felt to fit on the top of that to be the pyramids so they have the felt in the different colors so they can actually, they can play church in a way that's a little more specific than if they're doing it with their own blocks, um, giving them a shell. Um, telling them it's okay to pretend baptize their babies when they're taking a bath. Um, so in the early childhood space, a lot of that looks like, how can you help children play church? How can you help children play a Bible story that they've heard? Um, but then also, how can you have tactile kinds of things for children, whether that's a cross or a shell or a prayer square? Um, so that during worship, there's something they can physically touch and manipulate that's completely safe for them to do so. It's not really going to make noise. And um, you can introduce that in a children's message. You can include information about it in every single bulletin or service folder so that um, it's accounting for the fact you might always have someone new in your space. And they're like, wait, can I, can I keep this cross or this square? I think when we leave out those tactile forms of experience, especially for young children, but really for everyone, um, we're missing out on some of the ways that people can really connect deeply with their faith, um, with feeling the community sort of around them, 
right? When you, when you have a prayer shawl around you that you know someone made and they were praying for you, if not by name, but they were praying for you as they made it. Um, when, we, when we sort of don't consider those as possibilities, we're missing out on so much richness that we can offer for people of all ages to, um, to deepen their faith and have a really significant experience. Don, so can I jump I'm, in too and oh, just, yep. just say, because you mentioned it. So when we, uh, for the name project, when we go up to the camp, we stop at a church and they, they gave us prayer squares, the, the crocheted things with the cross on them. And I know the first year we kind of, uh, what are we going to do with this? And one of our leaders was very good and made up a four petition prayer that there's one per corner that you can just kind of do simple one corner is thank you. One is I'm sorry. One is help. One is wow. Um, and getting to lead people through that. And I, I you know, I, 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 those are those are pretty common prayer, prayer petitions. Mm -hmm. But I love mm -hmm. that we kind of got to adapt something like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, we have a really practical question here asking, how do you present activity bags if things are back in person, but you want to be COVID safe? Um, so you may have an idea there, but if anyone else just has a practice they want to drop in the chat too, uh, send it to everyone. Yeah, I, I've actually been seeing a couple folks following the example of there's an activity bag um, center or station. So the bags there are washed every week. And then you sort of go through the line. It's almost like this little buffet and the child takes what they want to use during the worship service. So it might be, you know, crayons or colored pencils that have been sanitized and put in a sanitized container, whatever the um, coloring pages or other sort of paper things might be. Um, but then anything else there is either single use, like wiki sticks that you can get in a pack or else it's been sanitized. And then when you're done, you go back and you put it in a, a bin or something where you know it can be sanitized the next way or the next time. So that's one example I think has been responsive to not just, I mean, we've all seen those, right? Where the, it's the canvas bag and you look inside and it's, you know, it's the Mickey Mouse coloring book and it's a car missing a wheel and that sort of thing. When we look really deliberately at what those materials could be and in the wake of looking at sanitizing and making sure things are clean, maybe they're not in the self-contained bags. Maybe you give kids choices, which is that's kind of a better choice anyway, right? That they get a choice of what they do. And then you have a plan in place for how to sanitize after every use. That's something I've seen in a few churches now where they're posting photos and sort of asking for feedback as far as what could go into the, um, the bags and just making sure all the surfaces can be sanitized. Um, a question for both of you, I think. We've had a couple things in the chat about digital storytelling. So what are the opportunities uh, since we've moved a lot of things online um, with both age groups you're focusing on with digital storytelling? Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, coming from a publisher, you want to make sure that telling a story that's in a published book is um, that you're doing that, that the terms of the publisher, uh, abiding by the terms of the publisher. So for example, with Sparkhouse and Beaming Books, books, you can read those as long as you're attributing the author, the illustrator, and who the publisher is, um, and that you're not, you know, you're not selling it in any way. Um, but then deciding as the storyteller, how do you make sure that it's a really engaging presentation so that you rehearse that ahead of time? You know, there's, there's a way to tell stories um, that early childhood educators will say, usually it's that you're here and then you've got the book cracked open with your non-dominant hand and you use your dominant hand to turn the pages. 
um, so that you practice that. And so if you are going to do um, storytelling, you, you've practiced, you know the story well, you tell it, you might have a little bit of editing at the beginning and end that sort of says, you know, it's storytelling with, you know, with Mrs. Dawn or um, that sort of thing so that kids recognize it. You know, sometimes people find that having a puppet is helpful for storytelling. If it's the puppet that's reading the story or going back and forth with the storyteller, there's, there's some different ways to do that. But um, I'd say there's great books out there. And the great thing with recording it and then having it is you can build up this little library and then families can look it up anytime they want. And I'll say with older with older um, groups, storytelling is incredibly powerful. And as as much as I'm torn because social media is a bit of a dumpster fire right now, and yet there is an ample opportunity to do storytelling on these platforms. And you can do the long form storytelling that happens on uh, YouTube that can be, um, there's a pastor, uh, Jason Chesnut does really good biblical storytelling that is essentially reciting scripture in a way that is in a storytelling format and has some really great videos. We've also got personal stories of faith. TikTok um, and, and Instagram video series are storytelling modules, right? And they're really creative ways to get to be able to tell some stories about what God is doing in our lives, um, what we're seeing, what we're experiencing, what's challenging us, even sharing our prayers. And there, and the way that social media platforms have been built for content is storytelling. And we should think of those as storytelling. And I'll say, because I reference social media, um, that, you know, I, I try to, in my training job at GLAD, talk about I think of these as tools and these are tools that can be used for good or harm. So I can take a hammer and I can repair a step or build a house, but I can also hit you on the head with it. And obviously one is very damaging and harmful and bad and one is helpful and good. And I, I try to think of social media platforms in that way, how we use them to make sure that they're good, um, knowing that there is always the potential and is the reality of being used for, for evil as well. But think about those because the other thing that happens with those stories is then they have an opportunity to actually be shared and get in front of an even wider audience of folks that may be in a position to need to hear a word of grace or a good biblical story at that moment. And you can be the one that helps to deliver that and other people can be sharing it. All right. Um, I have a question that I'd like to actually direct at both of you about resources in languages other than English on these particular areas. Um, are you aware because this is your sphere of uh, Spanish language resources or other languages for people? We have not published our Bibles in other languages. Um, it's interesting with international rights, we have some of our books that are published in other languages, but they're managed by the, the publishing entities that do that. So that's been a really difficult part of like moving into the children's book industry is that we have some great content, but we can't make it available to our customers in the US because they're with these different publishers. So um, I, I know that is not solving the problem of, you know, what do I do about getting these multilingual or these bilingual resources? Um, we released a bilingual resource. It's not a Bible, but um, we released it right as COVID was kicking in. And it, it, it just has not had a chance to blossom like we hope it will. But we actually translated the book written by Pastor Daniel Erlander called A Place for You, my Holy Communion book. And that is currently available as a completely free download of a PDF 
for families that want to use that um, within or churches that want to use that in their um, bilingual Spanish-speaking congregations. We also sell it as a bilingual edition <clears throat> with the Spanish on the left spread and the English version on the right. And it's called Hay Un Lugar Para Ti. And it is on the Augsburg Fortress website. <clears throat> Excuse me, if you look at the resources we have there um, by Daniel Erlander, you'll see that we um, published that one sort of in that same space. It was developed excuse me, I got a frog here. Um, it was developed with, uh, it was translated, it was reviewed by three um, translation consultants, it was proofread by someone who um, proofreads Spanish language resources all the time, because we wanted to use Latin American Spanish. And so that is one resource that Augsburg Fortress offers at this time within um, Spanish speaking congregations to have a bilingual Holy Communion book that I can offer as a as a resource for those congregations. Ross, anywhere you would point people? Yeah, um, the naming project has only operated within English for faith-based resources. Um, I don't have them off the top of my head, but I will say my colleagues at GLAD, GLAD is a Spanish language media program, um, and I work very closely with the director there. And I was going to end with an invitation that is a little bit of an alignment, but in a week from today is Spirit Day when we ask people to go purple, wear purple, change profile pictures purple in support of LGBTQ youth and against bullying. Um, and because I've been in task force meetings, I know there are a lot of assets and graphics and social media and resource kits that are in English and Spanish and a couple other languages. So I'm going to put a link there in the chat about um, Spirit Day. Um, and my colleague, um, the director, Monica Trasandas, is leading the outreach on all of um, on all of that and has been pushing for the resources. So if people are interested in those, you can do a follow-up with me and I can send you Spirit Day specific resources, but then I can also send the other GLAD ones that exist as well. Um, and then if it's helpful to point through the collaboration that we've got with her. Okay, lightning round. We have two minutes left. Last question from the chat. Um, how do you navigate one-on-one -on -one more relational time with teens and their families, with young ones and their families while trying to be COVID safe? Any ideas there? I'll say for older, for teens, I think it's a little bit easier because you have multiple points of entry and the one-on-one -on -one thing can happen a bit more through texting, social media, um, even video call type things. Obviously there's some parameters and rules about boundaries that you have with young people and their families um, and, and kind of know and establish how, how that's gonna work. I feel like the opportunity to get that opening with young people can be a bit more casual. Um, and I would take advantage of those casual moments to really glean and learn what's happening in lives and figure out when and how you want to be able to go deeper. That's my quick answer. Okay, Don. I would say the, uh, I don't know of any new parent that would say if you wanted to bring a meal to their house, oh wait, it's not the first two weeks after we had the baby, we don't need <laughs> meals anymore. Um, churches are filled with people who know how to cook delicious food. So I would say if you had maybe a book to bring, but you wanted to um, include a meal, and then you just arrange a visit, visit where you're dropping it off at their front door. Um, so it can be more contactless, where maybe they're holding baby, you can say hello and just make that point of contact. Um, you know, these parents don't have the time to say, oh, we're gonna do a Zoom, you know, parent support group every other week or that, like they're, they're running on fumes. Right. So um, I would say gifting them, looking at what is it that we can gift these families where there's a personal visit, 
Um, so it can be safe. So we're honoring that, um, you know, babies can't be vaccinated yet. Little, little ones can't be vaccinated yet. We have to protect them. Um, can be one thing to do and um, take advantage of the gifts within your community of making delicious food that will nourish that family. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time and your expertise.